This episode is brought to you by the Innovative Leadership Institute, working with companies that recognize the need to upskill their leaders and transform their organizations. What worked yesterday won't work today, and what works today won't work tomorrow. We help executive teams prepare for accelerated uncertainty by creating the foresight needed to stay competitive, elevating leaders to succeed, and transforming organizations to become future-ready. If you'd like to discuss how we can help prepare your organization for tomorrow, please visit InnovativeLeadership.com and click Contact Us. Hi, I'm Maureen Metcalf, and this is Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. As the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute, I am constantly looking for information that helps leaders become more future ready. Today, we'll discuss ITP or Integral Transformative Practice and how it helps you build the resilience every leader needs. Our guests are Christina Grody, Board Chair of ITP International, and Pamela Kramer, President of ITP International. Their new book is Living an Extraordinary Life, The Magic of Integral Transformative Practice. Welcome, Christina and Pamela. Thank you, Maureen. We're delighted to be here. Let's start with what is ITP, Integral Transformative Practice. ITP was created to explore our greater nature as human beings. George Leonard and Michael Murphy were both exploring transformative practices and what would bring about long-term positive change in individuals as well as in society. So they spent a couple of years in the early 90s developing an experimental program that was integral and involved the body, the mind, the heart, and the soul. And they ran it for two years to see if ordinary people, people with jobs and families and normal lives, could have extraordinary transformations the way that we think of the abilities that yogis have, as well as in their ordinary lives, being better communicators, better lovers, better fathers and mothers. Everything, the whole gamut from the ordinary to the extraordinary was what they were exploring with ITP. And they had some very positive results after that two years. So they wrote a book together about that called The Life We Are Given. Let's dive a little more into detail, integral transformative practice. What does that mean? Am I giving up hours of my day? How do I build it into my schedule? And why? Well, Maureen, we've prioritized groups and meeting in person as the best way to practice ITP. However, the world has changed since that time. You know, we had COVID, our groups moved to Zoom. Some of them are now meeting in person again, but we've learned that we can have a virtual community as well as an in-person community. We still believe though that face-to-face is best. So in my group, say, you know, we came in, we had, you know, a little bit of conversation, then we did the ITP Kata together. So there are nine we now call core practice intentions that make up the roadmap that is ITP. And one of them is the ITP Kata that was developed by George Leonard, who was a fifth degree black belt in Aikido. So he created this beautiful practice that takes about 40, 45 minutes and has Aikido warm-ups and yoga and stretching and joint movements and progressive relaxation, affirmations, meditation. It's a beautiful little integral package in and of itself. So together we do that. And then we'd sit down and 
have a staying current session. Staying current is another one of the nine core practice intentions. And so we just share what's going on with our practice, you know, with our lives. And then we usually have some kind of informational session. That was our night. Usually the groups all do it differently. We don't prescribe any particular way. The groups have free reign really on what they choose to do. So there are all kinds of models out there for that. Pam, maybe you want to add something here. Sure, Christina. In Northern California, we have a group, ITP San Rafael. We've moved into a leaderful format so that each member of our group does a presentation on some aspect of the practice. So it rounds things out and everybody gets to participate. These groups are in different parts of the country and different parts of the world as well. Let's circle back to the title of your book, Living an Extraordinary Life, now that we know what ITP is. How does ITP and an extraordinary life, how do those two connect? When George and Michael created the practice, that's really what they were exploring, is how we can all live into our greater natures. Their exploration is really into our greater natures and our fullest potentials as human beings. So we're not normally taught about a lot of these things, you know, that we have potentials beyond what we normally see in our everyday lives. So Michael wrote The Future of the Body, which came out in the mid-90s, that was based on at least 10,000 reports of exceptional human functioning that he took from different cultures and times all over the world. And he made 12 categories of those extraordinary attributes. So he maintains, and you know, we believe this, that all of our normal human attributes are capable of transformation into their extraordinary attributes, extraordinary expressions. And he views this as an evolutionary move. So when we talk about extraordinary life, it basically means just being able to live into our fullest potentials. One of the things I have been interested in is in an era where we're facing so much change and so much upheaval, especially as leaders, because people are looking to us. We do see evidence of record rates of anxiety and depression in the workplace that need to be attended to. And it seems like this practice, among others, are so crucial at this point in time because they provide us a roadmap that helps. It may not solve for everyone, but it's a huge step forward. So Pam, I'd love to hear more about what you're seeing with leaders and how you are experiencing this impact. Thanks, Noreen, for the question. The notion of integral practice, where we're cultivating all parts of our being, body, mind, heart, and soul, kind of converge internally so that we have kind of our own internal system of support. The relationship we have with our body, our mind, our heart, and soul actually can point the way to kind of an aligned approach to decision-making, to experiencing calm under pressure, to spark creativity. So the fact that we're working on all domains simultaneously, the intention of the practice was actually to bring forth an acceleration of growth. And so when all parts are online, so to speak, and working towards kind of the common goal, which is to express our highest nature in any given moment, this is something leaders actually do 
and sometimes can benefit from experiencing more of that kind of approach internally. I was just working with a group this past week where they seem like they can really use practices like balancing and centering because the mind can move in all kinds of different directions. And we focus on the body. The body is the teacher so that we use the body as kind of a metaphor for grounding ourselves and bringing a state of balance and greater ease into a given moment. So leaders can benefit from a practice such as this. You talked about the nine core practice intentions. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. So can you share with our listeners what those are? Yes, these are the short forms. The first one is I take full responsibility for my practice. That's autonomy. I join in community, in vision and practice. I engage in aerobic exercise and strength training. I am conscious of everything I eat and drink. I develop my intellectual powers through reading, writing, and discussion. I open my heart to others, express my feelings to those close to me, and take care of my emotional needs in appropriate and healthy ways. I create and actively engage with personal affirmations related to significant positive change within. I maintain a regular mind-body practice such as the ITP kata. And number nine, the last, is I look for ways to be of service and to contribute in whatever way I can to the well-being of our planet and all of life. So you can see within those nine, we've caught in body, mind, heart, and soul. We do look for ways to be of service. As we transform ourselves, we transform the world because when we change You know, it has a ripple effect to our family, our friends, our community, and in subtle ways, maybe far beyond what we can see. Maureen, you had mentioned The Life We Are Given and Living an Extraordinary Life, two books about ITP, the original one written by George Leonard and Michael Murphy. And what sparked us, Christina and myself and others, is watching the evolution of the practice over the years. Much of what is outlined in this book is really a a description of those kinds of changes, one of which are the commitments that Christina was referring to that were in the original text. And now we have what's called the core practice intentions, and we've changed the language because the practice really was intended to be an evolving practice. So here we go. We we noticed over the years that people shied away from the idea of commitment, that that word conjured up all kinds of scary ideas inside of people. And so we wanted the practice to be welcoming as it is. We addressed that through some of the changes in those core practice intentions that Christina just read. Intentions, one, I love the word, nine of them, that's a lot of stuff. If I think about all of them seem crucial to living an extraordinary life, a healthy life, a high impact life, and yet it's so easy to get caught up in the daily responsibilities. How do you help people honor the intention in a way that's also manageable for householders or manageable for busy folks? I'm lucky to brush my teeth in the morning and get my pants on before I walk out the door. How am I going to do all this stuff? The practice really is designed to actually be adapted to your own lifestyle so you 
pace yourself. Yeah, you start somewhere, like dip your toe in the water. So if exercise has not been something that's part of your daily regimen, take a walk for 10 minutes. Now we're seeing so many different apps that stop us, like after 20 minutes, get up, stand and stretch and that sort of thing. And in our practice community, we're really trying to reinforce this notion of do what you can, adapt as you go. We have injuries in our life. We have to take time off, etc. Keeping the practice alive really is the most important thing in terms of being one's own authority. So that's really the first core practice intention. So we stay really connected to that. So it provides safety for ourselves and for others around us too, so that we make choices that are really in our best interest. That said, many people now are actually incorporating exercise and meditation and you know, relaxation periods as an antidote to the stressful life that we find ourselves in. We're all kind of doing a little bit of ITP without really knowing that we're doing it. And that includes how we are in our relationships with others. Compassion's such a big theme now, self-compassion and compassion for others. We're finding there's more of a mainstream blow in this direction. I feel personally really excited about that. That's great, Pam. We really don't want it to look like a list of things you have to do. That's one reason that we softened and renamed this practice intention is to make it more flexible. This is not prescriptive. It's descriptive of you know a balanced, healthy lifestyle that can act as a launch pad to the extraordinary. George called ITP a launch pad for places yet unknown. So it creates a healthy foundation. And, you know, the other thing is that when they talked about integral, it was also integral awareness, not so many like different things, but that whenever we're interacting, we're alive. We have bodies, minds, hearts, and souls, however you want to describe that. People have different ideas about what soul means, but nonetheless, we're multidimensional. And as we interact in the world, as we're living, to recognize those four elements and just live from them, even as we're talking right now, you know, we're not physically together, but we see each other. Our bodies are reacting to what we're thinking and feeling and hearing. I just had something to add here, just in terms of like a, maybe a little slogan or something that our listeners can appreciate. And it's freedom within the form. So the form represents the core practice intentions. And then there's freedom within the form. So that's where that sense of flexibility and choice making becomes really important for the individual and also the group too. So that we're not feeling like constrained because this is a practice that actually is hoping to bring forth more of a sense of aliveness and expansion and expression in the world. So we've got a careful watch on anything that makes the practitioners in our circle feel constrained or restricted. And it's George Leonard's influence through the practice of Aikido that also brings that into the fore. Can you give some examples of the 10,000 extraordinary attributes that they noticed? So there are actually 12, Maureen. Um, Perhaps I misspoke. They gathered the data from 10,000 studies or report of extraordinary experiences. So Michael started a database of his own when he was in college, 
which expanded with the help of Steve Donovan, a collaborator, and his work at Esalen over the years. And that's what became the backbone of his magnum opus. So in terms of distilling down these 12, I can talk about them a little bit. Perceptual abilities, kinesthetic awareness and self-regulation, communication abilities, vitality, movement abilities, abilities to alter the environment, capacities for pain and pleasure, cognition, volition, sense of self, love, and bodily structures and processes. So those were the original 12, and he was very clear in saying that this was a draft, that there certainly could be many more identified. And actually, after he wrote this, he added to memory and imagination. And in the book, we wrote a bit about the first two in terms of how we might start to practice into that. You said the first two. That was perceptual abilities and kinesthetic awareness and self-regulation. So we call them noticing to shorthand it. So outer noticing and inner noticing is how we shorthanded that. There are ordinary and extraordinary ways of outer noticing, say. So we have our ordinary senses, you know, vision and hearing and taste and smell and touch, for example. So they have, those have their ordinary expressions, but they also have extraordinary expressions. There are people who can hear you know, a much wider range of sounds than normal hearing or see farther, for example. Those capacities can be developed to some degree through normal uh, practices. Then there are examples of extraordinary perceptual ability. So that would include things like clairvoyance, knowing what's going on in another place with people that you're not actually with, for example. So there are those forms. Um, In terms of the kinesthetic awareness, we're talking more about inner noticing. So we have the ability to notice what's going on inside our bodies. We can sense our energetic state. We can feel our muscular tension and sense our breathing, our ease in our bodies, that kind of thing. But we can also go deeper and experience down to cellular awareness. And that was documented. We don't hear about these things too much. Michael likes to say that cultures value only certain things and they'll support those things. Our culture, where we see the most well-supported evidence of some of these extraordinary capacities is in sports. That's sort of an acceptable venue. You know, when you see these athletes doing things that don't look physically possible, that's an example. We can go, well, how did they do that? And if it's possible for them to do it, they are extraordinary, right? They have certainly, they have extraordinary gifts, but we all have latent capacities within us. And really that was the big point of Michael's work is that it's our birthright. We all have these attributes. They can all be developed into extraordinary versions of themselves if we choose to. You know, we're differently abled in that way. So perhaps you've noticed, Maureen, in your own life, and Pam, I know you have little glimmers, like things that you experience that you go, oh, you know, what was that? And so we're trying to bring more attention to that and have people take those things a little more seriously. You know, not like, oh my God, I had this experience. I'm an amazing human being now and you can't talk to me anymore. We all have this. It doesn't make us more special than anyone else because we might have an extraordinary experience. It's just part of human nature. I'll add one thing here, just in terms of the inner noticing. 
I feel like the practice really puts the awareness on what's going on inside. So back to the leaders, just the notion of being able to notice, gosh, my shoulders are tight. What can I do here in this given moment? So we have these small opportunities that are continuous throughout the day to readjust and realign. And actually, the hits that come our way too. somebody says the wrong thing at the wrong moment, or you get the call with some bad news, we have the capacity to notice what's going on inside and use some practices to bring ourselves back into greater alignment and also self-compassion in those moments. So I just wanted to offer more practical features as well as the extraordinary, which as Christina was mentioning, is our birthright. We're moving into those realms, but at the same time on the ground here in a busy life with a leader who has multiple kinds of things going on simultaneously, these are small ways to bring a more aliveness and ease into one's daily life. On the inner noticing, the one that strikes me is the thing we call intuition. I've gone in and out of it that there are times I'm in a conversation and I just feel inspired to say something or feel inspired to stop talking. And years ago, I was very concerned about this. I was on a plane talking to someone and I had a sense that that person was going to be my next boss. At the time, I was seeing a therapist and I told her about it. And I said, I think I'm going crazy. I had this thing happen. And she's like, no, uh, you're fine. And she gave me a book called Inner Knowing and this idea that over the evolution of humans, that this was a sense that was absolutely cultivated. And with the advent of I can Google everything or look it up on my phone, we no longer pay attention to it yeah. for leaders. How do we know when we're facilitating a conversation, that ability to sense what's happening allows us to navigate the challenges with more finesse. I completely agree with this. And these kind of experiences where we get an intuitive hit, so to speak, how to A, notice it, which is what you, you mentioned, Maureen, right away noticing. And then what do we do with that information? once we've got it. And many things are going on at the same time as we're noticing it. So how can we work on multiple levels simultaneously? What I've noticed from my experience with the practice, it's helped me to be able to do that, to hold multiple dimensions simultaneously. And with this intuitive insight that can come, what are our choice points in that moment? Is there a question to be raised that actually may bring forth more understanding or insight to actually maybe validate that intuitive insight? Just by asking a compelling question opens the door for a deeper connection with another. And synchronicities seem to happen a lot. And that one, I think a lot of people can notice it, but not exactly make sense of it. So just to watch those kind of patterns over the course of our life is not only enriching, but actually is useful to make the kind of choices that move you in the direction of the integrity that lives inside of you as a leader, I think are priceless kind of gifts that already live inside of us. Yeah, there is something called the strangeness curve, 
that the more unusual an experience is, the less likely we are to even notice it. We tend to push those things aside in our consciousness. So one of the things that Michael did in his book was to detail some ordinary examples of these kinds of extraordinary attributes, like how it might show up in your daily life. Like, gee, these things do happen. And Maureen, what you report is interesting, you know, whether it was a synchronicity, a precognition, a memory of the future. There are lots of fun ways to look into that, which, you know, we do explore in the book. I also want to mention there's a book that came out in um, 1974 called Executive ESP. It was The Proven Links Between Hunches and Success by uh, Douglas Dean and other authors. And they actually did quite a bit of research into this and found that, you know, successful executives are the ones who were able to distinguish their intuitions and act on them in a generative way. One of our other guests talks about biases and data and the bringing together of hunches and knowing when my hunch is something to follow and when my hunch is interesting information, but I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Really refining that capacity, because I've had hunches that if I did them would, would have been unfortunate. And other... <laughs> And others that were quite helpful. Yeah, you know, it takes some time to distinguish that. And I'm sure that you've been exploring that. Pam and I have both been doing this practice for 20 plus years. And I think we're both noticing an increased ability to distinguish and just be open to, we call them downloads. Sometimes, you know, we're trying to work out something and don't quite know what to do or what the answer is. And I'll just be doing some random things sometimes, but a lot of times it's just as I'm sitting down to meditate, something I'll just drop in. And I write it down because I don't necessarily hold on to that information. And of course, it's not always correct or something that should be acted on, but it's like, oh, here is something to look at. But I do notice that I have a response in my body when it feels like the right thing, or at least in that moment, my body responds in a certain way. It's like a physical settling or calming or, oh yeah, that seems right. It's an interesting exploration. And I go back to the intentions and the idea of staying current. As we're talking, I'm thinking about something that happened an hour ago that frustrated me and I need to clarify. And the more of those things that build up, the less able I am to be present to our conversation or anything else that's happening. Just the pile of daily stuff that accrues. The ability, especially on the big stuff, to stay current grieves me to even notice when something's going on. So the staying current with oneself is that what you were alluding to is just to notice the feeling states inside. And if we can cultivate a practice to process as we go, which is a big exercise in and of itself, So to notice the feelings and where they show up in the body and to be aware of any associations to those feelings, because sometimes there's a pattern that we can relate them to, you know, some kind of holding inside that has a story behind it. Nonetheless, you know, it's a busy day and lots is going on. So how can we notice that and do kind of a a personal protocol, create a protocol so that you notice, you're aware of the feeling state, and you bring forth 
actually at the same time a relaxation that can permeate your being so that you have more spaciousness to be able to then do the next thing. And at the same time, notice, gosh, I'm, I'm near a hot object and I better beware. <laughs> so there's multiple things going on simultaneously. I've developed a, an affirmation that I process those hits, those experiences as I go. In other words, avoiding that pileup that you were describing. And there's a practice in Aikido, which is called the Ronduri. Ronduri is multiple attackers come at one practitioner. So you get the practice of being able to address multiple things simultaneously. So that's a, a metaphor for what happens in everyday life. So staying current with oneself then gives more capacity to be able then to engage with another. Sometimes we have upsets or disagreements or surprises. And how is it we can express our feelings skillfully with another is part of our practice so that we start from within and then we extend out. And then there's a practice with the group too, because staying current with a group when you're collaborating and trying to you know, work on a project together, multiple points of view, and how can you hold all of that simultaneously and stay connected to yourself at the same time so that you don't lose your inner rudder or compass that gives you the direction you're seeking. The concept of hara or center figures strongly in ITP, and that comes from Aikido as well. The hara is our center. So in the body, if they have a few inches below the navel, um, in the center of the abdomen, the concept is that we try to move from center. So when we're in our center, we're grounded, we're in the present, we can move from there, the dynamic balance that we're in. So you know, the Japanese have a concept of living from center. We keep our own identity, but we can move with whatever's coming at us. So I know that's part of the randori. It's like, yes, it's all coming at you, but you're centered in yourself, you're in the present and expressing yourself authentically while you're dealing with everything else. I think of checking my email almost feels like multiple attacks at the same time. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> Not people attacking me, but just stuff, too much stuff. And business meetings can feel like that. Just people with different points of view. And we encourage that. It's healthy, but it doesn't always feel good when everyone disagrees with me. And the ability to synthesize people's input and still have them feel respected. And so I think part of what feels so challenging is if I've got five people in a, in a conversation and we're trying to create something, they all five come in with a different point of view. And often I know that there are hard feelings between the different ones. And it seems like having the ability to manage my own energy and my thoughts, my feelings allows me to then create that same space for others. Maureen, thank you so much for that. It feels so familiar and dealing with group often, it raises the bar on our capacities as leaders, you know, it really, so that the more we practice and achieve that state that you're speaking about inside, and Christina referenced the feeling balanced and centered that here I am and I am empowered. And the more energy that comes at me, 
there's the capacity to actually work with that energy so that you're more energized as opposed to depleted. So our practice of blending with another, with ourself first, actually, to notice what's going on inside and then seeing the world from another's perspective and the group at the same time can be a very energizing kind of practice. And in our community, we've developed a program called the Key of Cooperation and Key meaning energy. We're working towards creating more of an easeful flow of energy and staying with that flow of energy. And so we work in the Key of Cooperation on finding common ground by noticing what our mindset is, our value system. We actually go through a number of different elements like that, along with our integral awareness and blending. So we practice those different kinds of aspects, and then it creates more capacity to be able to allow that creative process to flow, especially when we're respectful of ourselves and one another. Then it creates more space for a creative kind of integration to occur. And that's what I think we need in our lives and on the planet at this point in time, that space of cooperation where all voices are heard. And at the same time, we use our creative know-how together as a group to find that flow that basically works for all. And that means also sometimes I'm going to give, give way because the flow really wants to go in a certain way. And so I'm, I'm going to trust in that flow. So those are just some ideas around the group dynamic related to how to build energy as opposed to feel depleted. Let's go into a practical example. Let's do the grace practice. And I'm going to actually stand up as we do this and do it along with you. So Christina, if you would lead it, this is what, a couple of minutes? Yeah. And it can be very quick or you can draw it out as much as you like. So We'll do a quick version. Listeners, you can stand or you can do it seated. It's very quick and you can do it really anywhere. GRACE is an acronym. It stands for ground, relaxed, aware, centered, and energized. So we'll begin with grounding. So we like to begin with feeling our feet connected to the earth and imagining a line of energy extending down from the soles of the feet down to the center of the earth and just feeling yourself connected to that power from the center of the earth and then bringing that up through your legs, your torso, out the crown, way up into the sky or the heavens, as some people like to say, and then bringing that same line down through the crown, the torso, out the legs and rooting it again deep in the earth. And then relax. R for relax, Um, beginning at the crown of your head, just starting to feel a warm, melting sensation, just feeling the scalp, perhaps softening the forehead, the eyes, the jaw, the tongue. Take a deep breath, let the shoulders drop, just feel them melting down towards the floor, relaxing the ribcage and the diaphragm, the belly, the hips. Just letting your knees be slightly bent, not locked back. And again, noticing your feet on the floor. Just checking your balance side to side, front to back, making sure your stance is even. And now A for aware. So first noticing your internal state. How is your body feeling physically? Do you notice tension, any discomfort anywhere? 
just noticing it, noticing your energetic state, your mental state, you know, the state of your spirit, your energy on all levels, body, mind, heart, and soul. And then you can extend your awareness out of your body, say, into the room around you. What does the energy in the room feel like? If there are other people there, what do you pick up about their energy state? And you can even go farther if you want outside the walls. You know, what's it like outside right now? And then just coming back to your body and bringing your awareness to your center. So again, the center is in your abdomen, energy space in the abdomen, two inches or so below the navel. Some people consider it to be the center of intention or intuition. As we go through our day, our practices, we want to live from our center, present and balanced, and bring forth our best selves. And lastly, from the center, we energize. So if you like, you can reach out your arms and spread out your fingers. And just imagine that you've got high-voltage energy streaming out of your hands, your back, the backs of your knees, your elbows, moving yourself into an energetic field that's all around you. We can't see it normally. Some people can. And you can actually move around and experience that energized state. So that's grace. Ground, relax, aware, centered, energize. It takes longer to talk through it than it does to do it sometimes. But sometimes I spend quite a bit of time just really feeling into all of those aspects and really deepening that. It's a handy little practice. You just did the practice of grace for all of us. As a busy person in life, where do people use this practice? In the grocery line, in the restroom, on the train, in the boardroom, in the boardroom. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, nobody has to even know you're doing it, right? You don't have to reach your arms out for energize if you don't want. Just imagine a bright light around you or energies shooting off of you or you know, whatever works best. Well, and I love the idea of doing, as I'm thinking of energizing and I'm walking into something, especially something that could be tricky. Yeah. It's so easy to walk into something and think, oh my goodness, I just have to make it through this hour. Rather than sending ahead of me the idea, at least in my own mind, that this is an opportunity that can be a game changer for people, or it could be just a pleasant interchange rather than the thing I'm dreading. I also use it in that way, coupled with, in the centering piece, the intention. There's actually a question that you can ask yourself when you move to the center in grace, and that is, am I willing to use my best and highest power for good in the world? It's a prompt, but you can prompt yourself in any way you wish in that moment. And when you bring that centered, balanced state into an environment, it actually has a ripple effect, is my experience, in a group situation. It's contagious. That's really beautiful. And you know, sending that positive energy ahead of you is beautiful, too. And another thing, you know, we work with affirmations. You can create a, a short positive affirmation about that encounter having already happened and having, you know, worked out the best for all concerned, whatever the situation might be. And then you can hold and, you know, empower that affirmation too. So 
They're like intentions that are crystallized into short statements. I love the practicality that I don't have to go put on yoga pants to do this. I can (laughs) kind (laughs) of do it wherever I am. Although working from home, I have on yoga pants more than than we will admit. (laughs) It's a portable practice. Yeah. In the airport sometime, I'll find a little cozy corner and I'll do the standing kata. Definitely do grace. So you can take it wherever you go and the practice comes with you. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about the idea of evolutionary love. What is it and how does it relate to this? Well, when Pam and I were exploring uh, what you've put into this new book, one of the big topics that's come into our community is evolutionary love. That was brought to us by uh, Adam Crabtree, who's a therapist in Toronto, Canada. The idea is that we're unfinished beings. We're all evolving. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall down. But nonetheless, we are all evolving souls, if you want to put it that way. So we're part of this evolutionary unfolding And the concept is that it is love that is powering this evolutionary movement. Love that is moving the sun and the stars, as Dante said. It's the foundation of of all of the uh, evolutionary urges that we feel when we feel the urge to go beyond and self-surpass. That is the same urge that is powering the evolutionary movement. And we see that as being love. So that's what Adam wrote about. It was um, a concept that was brought forward by Charles Sanders Peirce, who was an American philosopher. Uh, He wrote about it in the late 1800s. And he didn't write much, but Adam really got interested in it and expanded on it. And we have really embraced that as a community. Part of the practical way that I use it is not to excuse bad behavior or negative behavior. But you can see, you know, that person, say, in their greater nature, they have greater potential as human beings. And that, you know, we talk about, you know, every being having a spark of the divine and all things do. And that is an evolving thing as well. So as as we evolve, that divine shines forward more brightly. So that helps me, you know, if I'm angry or I'm angry at myself because I didn't do something the way that I had hoped that I would. It's like, yes, but I am an evolving being too. We're, we're not finished yet. It certainly does give space. And let's go back to grace for grace with ourselves and others. One of my jobs, it feels like as a coach in that role is to see the best in people when they can't see it in themselves. To your point, it does not excuse somebody just slug somebody in the face. Right. That's inappropriate behavior. But someone who's really struggling with being better at dealing with conflict, being better at communication, to be able to imagine what brilliant success would look like for them helps them become that, helps them even know it's possible. Absolutely. I really appreciate the distinction because I don't want people to hear delusional, that I just act like it's all okay, but that in fact, this is an opportunity to see what's current, what's possible, and actually work to close the gap. Right. And it's important to have evolutionary love for ourselves as well. Self-love is, is so important because if we you know, are not loving ourselves, it's very difficult to extend that to others. It's near impossible to extend it to others when we mistreat ourselves. 
So we're not doormats, you know, we're not letting people abuse us, you know, that's part of our love for ourselves. And we have to hold people accountable, but at the same time to see them as evolving and, you know, presence their greater nature, like you say, so they can move into that. If we see them as already having realized their fullest potential, the body, mind, heart, and soul, that will definitely help them to feel into that. And I have to say, I'm uneven in doing it. That's my aspiration. And some days I'm great at it. And other days I'm just cranky. So (laughs) we're human. That's how it is. Pam and Christina, thank you both so much for writing this book. We keep coming back to at this point in time, as leaders, we set the tone. Our physical, emotional, spiritual state is contagious. So it is our responsibility to care for ourselves so that we can extend that care to others and so that we model health because we want them to be healthy. Even if it's just a bottom line, we want people to be productive. So how would people find you? We've got lots of opportunities for that. Thank you. We have a website that's chopped full of all kinds of interesting articles. And there's a webpage there that is entitled Living an Extraordinary Life. So we are at www.itp-international.org. And we do have a Facebook page of the same title. We have programs galore. We also have a leadership practice, integral leadership mastery, So many opportunities, and we also have a program going on right now, Living an Extraordinary Life. So we're working our way through the book over a course of six months, and I'm sure we'll be doing it again and again. There's some free um, online opportunities to do the kata three times a week now. So if you go to our website and put in your email address, you can get the notifications for those. And also we do open houses so people can learn about the practice and you can reach out and just inquire and we'll be happy to respond and um, send you more information. We have a quarterly newsletter too that comes out. So lots of places to play and practice together. Thank you both. And thank you to our listeners. I trust that you are finding valuable information that you can take into your own practice. And I hope that you will check out the book and the ITPE practices as they support you becoming the best leader that you can be.